You're listening to the Glenn Barrett Leadership Podcast. We know this will be an incredible resource for your life, so stay focused, listen up, and thanks for joining Job us. Job chapter 17, verse 9. One of the things that we like to think about Audacious Conference is, is as a celebration of the last 12 months of what God's been doing in all of our lives and also a setup point for the next 12 months as well. Audacious Church is a church. We turn nine next month. And uh, just two weeks ago, we were able to show our church the new building that we're looking to build on our site, about 22 million pound build project, amazing auditorium for two and a half thousand seats, amazing well-being centres, incredible youth and kids facilities. We're super excited about that. But you know, one of the things that I believe is really important, the Bible teaches us this, is you should have moments where you stop, you build an altar and you thank God for everything He's been doing. And uh, I always like to think about an audacious conference like that, that we get to thank God for 12 months, gone, but also it's almost like this setup point, God supercharges us, He gives us a fresh word, He gives us fresh insight, He helps us to see new things ready for a new season. And in Job chapter 17, verse 9, He says these words, He says, and I love it because Job was going through a challenging time when he writes it. He says this, the righteous keep moving forward and those with clean hands get stronger and stronger. The righteous keep moving forward. Everyone say forward. The righteous keep moving forward and those with clean hands get stronger and stronger. To understand what's going on here, we've got to get a little bit of a context to what was going on in Job's life. You see, Job, he was the who's who in the zoo. He was wealthy beyond wealthy. The Bible gives details on how many people worked for him, how big his family was. The Bible gives details of the amount of camels and donkeys that he owned. He he was wealthy beyond wealthy. He was the Bill Gates of of that era. He was on the front cover of GQ and and Esquire magazine. Everybody wanted to know what Job's babies were going to be called because then everybody called their babies the same name as Job's babies. You've got to understand, Job was David Beckham. Uh, uh, Job was the person that everybody wanted to meet. Everybody wanted to hang out with Job. Everybody wanted to work for Job. He he had good, good holidays plans for his employees, had good pension plans, good pay packets. Everybody wanted to be like Job. But then the Bible says that though he had everything that money could buy, he had friends, he had had amazing transport and, and houses, shelters. He had amazing friends. The Bible says, though he had everything, he lost everything. And I guess every single one of us in this place, we can relate in some way to Job. In other words, we all know what it's like to have something and then lose something. Some of you sitting in here tonight, you're saying to me, yeah, Glenn, uh, I, I always lose my keys. Come on, give me a wave if that's you. Always looking for your keys. Uh, uh, maybe you're always losing, losing your handbag or, or your wallet. Uh, now I find my bank cards go missing from my wallet often. I discover them in my children's bags. In my children's wallets, I find that my nice pens from my office downstairs, they often go missing. And then months later, they turn up in my son's room at some point. We all know what it's like to have things and lose things. The thing that I lose the most is my baggage when I travel. When I say I lose it, really what I mean is my preferred airline loses it. A few years ago, my airline lost my bags, get this, 12 times, 
12 times in one year, my airline lost my bags. I ended up knowing my travel insurance broker so well that he ended up having my phone plugged into his mobile phone. So when I would ring, I wouldn't ring the company. I rang my insurance guy. He'd say, hey, Glenn, lost the bags again. 12 times one year. The following year, they lost my bag eight times. It got to a point where I would check in for a flight and I would do this, I would kiss the bags goodbye because I knew that at one point they belonged to me, but at some other point, someone else would be walking off with my bag. We all know what it's like to have something and lose something. I felt like the guy once checking in, I I felt like saying to the, the person checking me into a flight, I felt like saying, listen, I'm going to Hong Kong, but could you send one bag to Singapore and one bag to Sydney? The lady replies, I can't do that, sir. The bags have to go where you go. I said, it's strange. They never often go where I go. (laughs) We all know what it's like to have something and lose something. The thing about Job is this, is Job had everything and then he lost everything. He didn't just lose his Frisbee like I did at school over the school fence once. He didn't just lose the tennis ball from playing cricket in the road on the roof. No, no, he had everything everything and the Bible says he lost everything. We just read Job chapter 17 verse 9 but in verse 1 of Job 17 it says this, he was crushed. In verse 2 he's mocked. In verse 3 he's saying I need defending. In verse 3 again he's feeling betrayed. In verse 6 he's spat at. In verse 7 his eyes are puffy because he's been crying but then it gets to verse 9 and in verse 9 look at his conviction. Though he's got everything and lost everything. And even though chapter seven is horrible, his conviction is this, I know the righteous will keep moving forward and those with clean hands get stronger and stronger. That was his conviction. His conviction ran deep within him. And I just wanna ask you a question tonight. What's your conviction? What do you know about your life? What do you know about your God? Because I've discovered this, that there's a massive difference between living a life of preference and living a life of conviction. Two different things. I meet many people who live their life by preference. You see, a preference is when you have a strong belief about something, but you can easily change your mind about it. In other words, you can believe one thing about God or you can believe something about your life. You can believe something about your ministry, your business and your future. But when external challenges and pressures come your way, you end up changing your mind and believing something else. If you changed your mind, you didn't have a conviction, you had a preference. For example, we go into a shop, we'll go into, into Top Man or Top Shop. If, if you spend a bit more, you'll go into All Saints. And what happens is this, you go in and you try on a pair of trousers and they've got a rip in, 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 in the knee and, and, and you look in the mirror and you think to yourself, man, I look good. And maybe you put on a frock if you're a lady, a dress, a a blouse, and you go in, you think, man, I look good. You're trying out the heels. You've got that little purse bag thing going on. Fellas, because you're a metrosexual, you've got a man bag. You've got your hair groomed. You look in the mirror and you think, man, I look great. It's your conviction that nobody looks quite as good as you do in that outfit. 
You go on websites, you buy a magazine, you look at the model and you look at the model and think, man, there's no way that model looks as good as me. Look how good I look. It's your conviction that you look good. But let me promise you something. I promise. In five years' time, you're going to look back at pictures of you today. You're going to look at your hairstyle. You're going to look at that Adidas hat that you're wearing down here on the front row. And even though for some bizarre reason, you looked in the mirror and thought, man, it looks great. I'm here to tell you, bro, when you get married, we're going to put this shot on screen. Because here's the thing, preferences change just like fashion changes. And and tonight, as young people and older people, we've got to make a decision whether or not we're going to live our life based on preference or we're going to live our lives with a conviction. Job said, though I've lost everything, I know. I know the righteous are just going to keep moving forward and those with clean hands get stronger and stronger. Can I ask you something? Are you living a life of conviction or preference? I'll know the answer when you go to university. I'll know the answer when you go to university and you sit in your first lecture with a, with a, liberal, with a liberal lecturer, with a, with a liberal theologian, one who doesn't believe in God but is lecturing theology. I'll know then whether you've got a conviction or a preference. You see, a few years ago, I, I, began, I had an epiphany. I had a moment where I realized the difference between conviction and preference. It was actually 20 years ago. I was in Bible school reading theology, learning all the eschatologies, pneumatology and eschatology, all theologies, uh, sociology, anthropology, theology, pneumatology. Did I say that already? All theologies. And while I'm reading about God and I'm studying Scripture and I'm learning what it is to be a preacher and I'm beginning to understand what ministry is like and how do you plant a church and what does it mean to be a missionary in a foreign culture. I remember while I'm there reading theology, I'm not just reading theology and listening to my professors, I'm also looking across the room to a girl. Now, I'm going to be really honest. I'm going to be really honest. And I need to say this, that that girl flirted with me badly. Seriously, it was almost shameless. She's sending me love notes. She, she's saying, man, those, 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 you look great in those clothes. Ah, oh, you were brilliant, chapa. I just love the way you play that bass guitar. And it didn't matter what I said. Sophie was unstoppable. I tried to cool the fire. I tried. I'm not looking up to the balcony. I tried to cool the fire. Uh, but but, but I, I realised I'm beginning to fall in love with this Latin American chick. Uh, she, she's beautiful, long, dark hair, just, 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 a, just a great personality, life of the party, friendly, smart, just a smart, wise. She frustrated me because we'd get into, into a theological argument and she, she'd always win. And then I'd go back to my room and remember what I should have said. I began to fall in love. And it reached a moment where I'm about 24 hours short of saying to her, hey, do you want to go out on a date? 
Let's go to the Italian up the road. Let's, let's, let's go on a date and see what happens. I'm 24 hours away from this happening. And before I asked her out on the date, a guy in my class, we'll call him Jeff in case he hears this and sues me. Jeff, Je- Jeff comes up to me. He says, Glenn, I'm falling in love. I said, Jeff, that's, that's fantastic. He said, yeah, I'm a, I, want, I want your advice. Jeff, how can I help you? What advice do you need? And I said, who's the girl? He said this to me. He said, I'm falling in love with Sophie. And I thought to myself, so am I. I felt like rolling up my sleeves ready for a fight. But, but, but I, but I, and then he said this to me. He said, and I think she loves me too. I thought, that woman... And in that moment, I had an epiphany because I had this moment where I had a conviction about something and my conviction was this, my mum loves me. (laughs) I began to think about my mum's love for me. My mum loves me. When I I burnt down my neighbour's fence at home, my mum loves me. I I smashed the neighbour's windows with a few cricket balls, she still loved me. When I got into mischief, she still loved me. Did she use the fivefold ministry gifts on my rear end? Many times she did. But one thing I knew, I had a conviction that my mama, she loved me. And nothing was gonna change the fact that my mum loved me. It was a conviction that ran deep in my heart. But at this moment, I didn't know whether Sophie loved me. I didn't know whether she had a conviction about the way she felt about me or or whether I was just a preference, uh, the best of a bad bunch of Muppets in Bible school. (laughs) I didn't know. And I made a decision as a 20-year-old young man. I decided this, that I refused to live my life based on a preference. So Jeff, we're talking. He says, so what do you think I should do, Glenn? I love Sophie. I think Sophie loves me. I said, why do you think Sophie loves you? And he said this, because every time I look at her, she looks back. I felt like saying it's because she's got eyes, you muppet, but I didn't. I wanted to see where it was going. And Jeff says to me this, he says, I'm thinking about asking her out on a date. Glenn, should I ask Sophie out on a date? And I thought to myself, I, I don't want to live a life on preference. I, I want to live, live a life and marry a girl who's got conviction. If she goes out with him, then she ain't the woman for me. So I said to Jeff, by all means, I reckon you should ask her out on a date. Jeff did. He asked Sophie out on a date. Do you want to know what happened? Do you want to know what happened? Jeff goes up. He says, hey, Soph, really attractive. I know you think the same about me. Let's go out on a date. And Sophie did the classic. She said this, who else is going to? (laughs) Guys, can I say this? If you ask a girl out on a date and she replies, who else is going? She ain't interested. She said, you know what, I don't really want to go out with you, Jeff, on our own, but if there's a group of us going, I'm more than happy to go out to go out together in a group. And at that point, I began to realise, you see, I began to realise that Sophie had a growing conviction about the way she felt about me. 
And 14 months later, as she walked down the aisle in a white dress and, and we exchanged rings and the altar said, till death do us part. It, it was a vow, it was a pledge made as a conviction, not as a preference. And we made a decision in our marriage that we would never mention the D word. Divorce. Because it happens all around, doesn't it? And many of us in this place, we've been a part of families where we've seen divorce and we know what that's like. My wife came from a divorced family. So we made a decision that this love, this marriage was going to be based on conviction and not preference. Now, do we argue? You betcha she does. But it's over as soon as I realise I was wrong. I wear sackcloth and ashes. I say, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me of my sin? But do you understand there's a massive difference between living a life of preference and conviction? And I believe that what God's looking for is He's looking for a group of men and women who in this day and age, where there's no absolutes, there's no right and wrong, God is looking for a generation to rise up who say, I'm gonna live my life based on a conviction, not on a preference. I can't be talked out of it. You won't convince me of something else. I'm not gonna believe something else. I'm not gonna experiment with other things. I have a conviction. There are three men in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king said, I'm going to throw you in the fire unless you bow down at the altar uh, to, to this false god. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said this. They said, hey, guys. And they said, hey, king, uh, we, we honour you, but we refuse to bow down to the idol. And they said this. They said, well, well he said, if you don't, then we're going to throw you in the fire. And this is what the three boys said. They said, you can throw us in the fire if you do God is able to save us. But even if He does not, we will not bow down. I'm here to tell you that three boys with conviction ended up being leaders in the land. Why is that? It's because the Bible teaches us that the righteous keep moving forward and those with clean hands get stronger and stronger. Listen, if ever there was a time, if ever there was a generation to rise up and live with conviction, this is the one. What do you know about God? What do you know about His love for you? What do you know about His plans and purposes for your life? Do you know the Bible says, if God is for me, then who can be against us? Do you know that? Do you feel it or do you know it? Because I'm not even talking now about feeling. I'm talking about knowing I know if God is for me, who can be against me? I know Philippians chapter four, my God will supply all my needs according to His riches, not my riches, His riches in glory. I know the Bible says that by His stripes, I'm healed. I know the Bible teaches me that I am more than a conqueror. I'm not even a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. You see, I read my Bible and it teaches me conviction. I'm here to tell you, if you're in school, you're in university, in college, you're going to go into tricky situations and you're going to hear all sorts of things. But God's looking for a leader, a young leader with conviction. Right now in South Africa, there's an election taking place. Pastor DJ's here. He's one of his campus pastors, Pastor Aloysius, Aloysius, Pastor Musi Mamani. He's, he's running, he, he's, he's the leader of the opposition party. Many years ago, 2005, at Audacious Conference, he began to speak about how God spoke to him about his nation of South Africa. And today we have an amazing young man who's involved in leading a political party in the nation of South Africa. He's being called the young Nelson Mandela. Why? Because a few years ago, he decided that he was gonna live his life based on conviction and not on preference. 
Come on, who am I talking to right now? God wants you to be a person of conviction. Have a conviction. When you get into a relationship, boy, girl, girl, boy, have a conviction. More than feeling. Have a conviction. And I love what he says here in the Bible because what he says is this. He says, the righteous keep moving forward. He doesn't say everybody keeps moving forward. He says the righteous. Can I ask a question? What does it mean to be righteous? Is it right doing or is it right standing? Is righteousness something that comes from your own strength and effort or is righteousness something that is external to you? Look at these verses, this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. It says this, God made Him who had no sin, that's Jesus, become sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now watch this. I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but watch this. This is, this is Theology 101. Young people, this is going to save you a lifetime of striving and religion and piety. This is going to help you so much. He says here, the righteous keep moving forward. Righteousness has nothing to do with how big the Bible is that you read. Righteousness has nothing to do with how much you pray. Righteousness has nothing to do with how much and how often you go to church and you serve on team. Righteousness has nothing to do with that. Righteousness, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, we are made righteous because of Jesus. My favourite verse on righteousness is Colossians 3 verse 3. And here's what it says, your life is hidden in Christ You know what that means? That that means when God the Father, He looks at you, He's not seeing you, He's seeing Jesus in you. He's not looking at your sin. You see, what happens is this, is in our life, the devil says, look at your sin, look at your addiction, look at this, look at this, look at this. How can you be a Christian? But you've got to understand the devil hates righteousness because he knows that righteousness is not to do with your church attendance, your Bible reading, your praying. It's got nothing to do with what you do. It's everything to do with the fact that Jesus died on the cross and in doing so, He made you righteous. He took your sin and now, now you are hidden in Christ. You're hidden in Christ. Oh, like a baby is hidden in the mother's womb. You're hidden in Christ. In the same way you take a baby and the baby is wrapped and you just see this, this little bundle of joy. You, you are hidden in Christ. You know what that means? It means that God sees in you what you would never see in yourself. You see failure and you think it's final. But God doesn't see failure, God sees victory. Because when He looks at you tonight, He's looking at the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you are hidden in Christ. You see, you see the end, God sees the beginning. God sees things in you that you would never see in yourself. I learned this when I was 12. And I was in my youth pastor's office praying and I began to hear God, God spoke to me and God said something to me about my life. He, Glenn, this is what I see in you. And I saw something at the age of 12. Who's 12 here tonight? Just give me a wave if you're 12. Oh, you guys are beautiful. When I was 12, I saw myself standing on stages 
and traveling the world. I saw myself planting a church and I saw myself being a pastor at the age of 12. Now you gotta understand guys, at the age of 12, I was bullied in school and had no friends because I was the only Christian around and they played a game called Crucify the Christian. So when I looked at myself in the mirror, I saw a loser, I saw failure, but God saw something in me when I couldn't see anything in me. And I wanna tell you tonight across this place, God sees stuff in you that you can't see in you and it's all wrapped up up in the fact that you are made righteous. Come on, who am I talking to? You are made righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ. He sees in you what you would never see in you. Colossians 3.3 also tells me that He would say about you what you would never say about yourself. Gideon is hiding in a wine press, hiding from the enemy, and God comes up to him and says, hey, mighty man of valour, and he's like, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> Some of you got it. God, God, God spoke to me when I was 12 and when I was 15 and when I was 18 and when I was 22 in my second year of Bible school and I'm walking in, in the lecture theatre in Sydney, Australia, praying with my friend and God spoke to me and said, go back to England. And I said, God, you go back to England. Why did you leave? God and I had a conversation and God began to speak and He said three things. One of those three things have come to pass. There's another two that are on the horizon. One of them is nearly about to come to pass. You see, God said things about me that I would never say about myself. He says the same about you. Do you know why the devil doesn't want you to come to church? Because in church, you're gonna hear God say things about you that you would never believe. The devil says, if you go to church, if you come under the sound of the preaching because you don't live quite right, then, then, then you're gonna hear condemnation. You see, the devil says the sin is the end of you. The gospel says this, God says, I'm gonna get you through. And something happens. You come to Audacious Conference and we have changed live moments. We quiet before God, the preacher's preaching. The, the worship is happening. Things are going on. And there are moments where God comes and He whispers. And what he says is so precious that you're like, shh, it can't be true. Gideon, go in the strength that is yours, mighty man of valour. He's like, shh, you got it wrong. God sees in you what you can't see in yourself. God says about you what you would never say about yourself. He says here, he says, the righteous keep moving forward. Now notice this, he says, the righteous keep moving forward. I love these words, the righteous keep moving forward. You see, the first step in moving forward is deciding you're not gonna stay where you are. That's profound. I ain't staying here any longer. I ain't staying in this relationship that's pulling me down any longer. I'm not staying in this addiction any longer. I'm not staying in, in this self-destructive way of thinking any longer. I'm not staying with these suicidal tendencies any longer. You see, moving forward starts with making a decision. I'm not staying here anymore, anymore. Because God's plan, guys, is for you to move forward. Thank you for listening to this Glenn Barrett Leadership Podcast. For more information, visit us online at audaciouschurch.com.